the Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the 12th chapter. Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide all the family inheritance with me. But he said to him, Friend, who set me to be a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Then he told them a parable. The land of a rich man produced abundantly. And he thought to himself, What should I do? For I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your life is being demanded of you. All the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is with those who store up treasures for themselves, but are not rich toward God. The Gospel of the Lord. Well, the Bible can be a tough book to read. Anybody agree with that? Yep, sometimes it can, can it? Because you can find, often find passages that have you kind of scratching your head or kind of wondering, what is that about? And we're kind of in a series of those right now, quite honestly. Lots of different passages, not just the gospel passages, but others that may have us scratching our heads or wondering, what, what's that about? Well, let me give you a little seminary. If you don't know what seminary is, that's pastor school um, and other rostered leaders as well. Let me give you a little seminary 101. If you read something in the Bible that does have you scratching your head or wondering a bit, read what comes before it and read what comes after it. Now, sometimes you may find yourself reading a whole chapter or even a whole book to get a sense of what the writer is trying to say. Because remember, the, the Bible isn't a book. It's a library of books, of course. But um, so you can spend a, a few minutes or sometimes half a day, right? Or else you'll end up like the camp director yesterday at all church camp. I've been in charge of the devotions out there, and so I've been going out uh, during the day, not today, but during the day most times. And uh, I was giving an example in the midst of a lesson. I was giving an example of all these kinds of impossible tasks that we might do. Uh, together with with uh, young people there and the camp director was walking around as I was saying to the young people I have an idea. I found a hornet's nest in the woods. What if we all take off our shoes and stand in it for 10 minutes? That had followed me saying well, well if you don't like that challenge How about we all hold our breath for five minutes, you know things like that and Maybe you can construct a lesson out of that or maybe you're never gonna send your kids to all church camp I don't know but she walked by and gave a little bit of a sideways look, and I, I said to the kids, I think I just, I'm about to get fired. And, and she goes, nah, we have a camp nurse, you're fine. <laughs> but sometimes we can read things and not quite get what's going on. 
Well, the interaction we have today in our gospel between this man and, and Jesus that kind of starts this whole thing is in the midst of this very intense teaching between Jesus and his disciples. It's happening, um, that's what's happening before our gospel today. Jesus is standing in the midst of thousands, but he pulls his disciples close, probably more than just the 12, but he pulls these disciples close to give them warnings against those who will, uh, who will exercise power over them. He pulls them close to give them a call to discipleship that will have them totally reliant on God to hold them fast, to give them the words as the threats of the world come against them. And into this intensive teaching about what is most critical, what is central to confess Jesus against the threat of your very life and the threats of the world, comes this interruption from this man in the crowd. A man asked Jesus to tell his brother to divide the family inheritance. I've often spoken to people that one of the best gifts you can give to your children is not a whole bunch of stuff, but a clear path as to how that will be divided. I'm sure many of you have been in battles before, perhaps, uh, when a parent or a loved one has died and you've had to divide that. But there were biblical rules on this, not just a bit on this, from the prodigal son story, which will come in a few more chapters. We know that the older son gets two-thirds. He gets a double portion of the property when the father dies. Again, we're in a male-dominated society here, of course, but the younger son gets a third. Now, of course, with more sons, there's more kinds of divisions, and if you're really excited about that, you can read in Leviticus and you can read in Deuteronomy all the rules about that. But it seems like there are a couple of brothers involved here. And actually, the fact that this man asked Jesus this question means that he recognizes him as a teacher, a kind of biblical lawyer who would actually have the authority to work this situation out. And yes, in most situations, of course, it isn't a bad thing to seek out the counsel of faith leaders to set things right. I'm continually amazed and how many have left a legacy in this congregation and in other congregations and organizations around this area. How they have given gifts that have blessed this congregation and they have blessed this community well beyond their life. Those gifts have allowed us to do things that our budget otherwise wouldn't cover. And those blessings are all around us. Some of you may know some of them or be part of that legacy but there are all kinds of things that I don't even know, I find, that have been gifts from those. But in this situation, the context is not a blessing for others. And we don't know if this brother or if the other brother is being the one being selfish, but it doesn't seem that this request is looking out for anyone other than looking out for number one. And while Jesus doesn't pack, unpack any of this for us, or even, and he certainly doesn't criminalize the man asking, he does use it as an opportunity to talk about greed. Now again, Jesus has been in this very intensive teaching with his disciples about all the ways in which they will be hunted and haunted by the evils of this world for giving witness to him. But I wonder if this story kind of offers him a chance to show how all the pretty things will also seek to pull them away as well. And it kind of gave me pause as I thought about that to wonder, which affects my faith more? Is it persecution or is it temptation? 
Is it the hard things of witnessing to Christ? Or is it the pretty things that pull me away and take my attention? And I have to tell you, I kind of shudder a little bit to answer that. How about you? Where is my focus? Where's yours? Where is ours together as a community of faith? Well, Jesus' parable, I think, helps us unpack that a little bit because as I read it, I'm struck by how much of it does not offend my ears, at least as the initial reading. And what I mean by that is that I am kind of appalled by how normal the words of the rich fool sound in my ear because I think they resonate with the culture around me. Listen to what the rich man says in the midst of this parable. So he's got all these crops. He said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store up all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. Now notice all of the I's and me's and my and mine in that passage. And I think if we could hear Jesus telling this parable in person, and I bet if we could be among a crowd who understood in their bones that their very lives were interdependent with one another, and that included their economic lives, we would hear this very differently. I would imagine that the hearers in Jesus' day would be offended, shocked at the way in which this rich and lucky man speaks only about himself. And by the way, if you hear it that way as it was read today, give thanks that perhaps you haven't been fully sucked into the vortex where my needs, my truth, my echo chamber are all that matter. Boy, we could unpack that for a while, right? That could be a weekend retreat because we are so cooked in this soup of individualism that sometimes we probably don't even recognize it when we hear such an outlandish claim as this man makes. Now, I want to pause there because this man is not evil for having a bumper crop. Nothing wrong with that. He's not a bad guy for building bigger storehouses for his abundance. That's just good planning. The issue is that there is no thought of anyone other than himself. There is no community, no sense of generosity, no thought to what could be given and what that could do. And we could spend quite a while on the interconnectedness of agrarian societies in Jesus' day, but it really isn't any different than our society and our economics today. We often simply have the privilege of being more removed from it, more able to turn inward on ourselves without having to see the effects on other people. We're even encouraged, I would argue, to be entitled. And that leads to what I think might be the kernel of this, of this gospel for today, this sermon, or it might be the capstone of kind of unpacking this over a weekend or more. The man has himself convinced that this wealth is what will give comfort to his soul. That's a huge statement. It is not only his physical comfort that will be satisfied by this economic abundance, but he actually has a conversation with his soul, his being, his source of life, 
And his conclusion is that his goods and the comfort they bring will center him. They will sustain him. In other words, his conclusion is the same as I think pretty much every commercial or ad I've ever seen in my life. Am I wrong? Now, all of this may sound like you better do better or the Grim Reaper will come and get you too. But that's not where Jesus lands. Again, remember, when you have a text, read before and read after. After this passage, Jesus speaks beautifully and he speaks graciously about the provision of God, counting the hairs of our head. I know in my case, not a long, long day of counting, but, but count, that's not the point. Counting the hairs of your head, valuing you more than many sparrows who he provides for, clothing you more beautifully than the, than the gorgeous flowers that you see around you. I think that gives us perspective on our first reading for today, which sounds just like somebody being very cynical about all of his toil and about all of his labor. But really, the writer of Ecclesiastes is just trying to give us perspective to kind of pull away from all of the things we're told will we'll center us, will give us life, will sustain our souls. And if you want to know what that looks like, bathe yourselves in the book of Colossians today. Beautiful text. But I found yesterday at camp something other than the hornet's nest that was kind of fascinating to me. The reason I had given those kids those challenges was because we were talking about believing what, what we believe in and how often we hear that we, you know, we should believe in yourself, believe in yourself, and how it can be really encouraging when someone says us, that to us, yes, but what does that mean for our, for our lives if it's always on us, you know? If it's always centered on us and what we need to do or what we can do or what we better do or what we might do. I remember a, a billboard on my child's school one time that said, um, uh, you know, if you, I can't remember the exact wording, but it was basically like, if you, if you work for it, you can do anything. And I looked at that sign and I said something in my head that I won't say, but I said, bologna sandwich. That's not true. But what was interesting is I was talking to the kids about this, and again, we gave them challenges like climb a 120-foot tree, swim to the bottom of the lake and touch where it's 25 feet and touch the bottom, hold your breath for five minutes, stand in the hornet's nest. And the point of that was to say, you can't do everything yourself. You need something outside of yourself to be centered in something more than you are, even more than your community is, something outside of you that has power over this world. And what was interesting was, as we were talking about that, it struck me as I was looking at some of these kids' faces, I, I said, what is it like to have all of that on you all the time? I said, does that, does that, is that hard? Uh-huh. Yeah. Does it feel like you have to be perfect all the time? There were these two middle school girls especially who were just like, yes, yes it does. What would it be like to be centered in something greater than yourself? And it was like, oh, I don't hear that anywhere else. But that is the message we have for us today. That is the grace and the good news of Christ. Not just to hold up this example and say, you better not do that. But to say what I offer is something more. Something that truly gives life to all of who you are. 
all of your soul, all of your life. Because I am your maker, I am your creator, I am your center. Thanks be to God for the good news of God's grace, the centering that Christ gives us. Amen.